Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost? I'm your host Jeanette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 35. Stephen. Jeanette. Have you heard of the Bory Rectory? It doesn't sound like something I want to hear though. No, this, this is actually the first story in a little while that really gave me the willies. Uh, we crack on? Crack, we crack. In 1862, Borley Rectory was constructed on Hall Road near Borley Church by the Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull. The rectory was quite large, but even still was eventually extended with an additional wing to house Bull's family of 14 children. Of course, we could mention the lifetime achievements of the man, what his children grew up to become, who they married, how many children they had, and this would be a lovely short tale of a man of God and his wonderful family who lived happily ever after in a beautiful home. But this is not just a story of a beautiful home or the wonderful family who lived in it. This is a story of love, lies and murder. The small sheltered parish of Burley is located on the northern border of Essex County in England. It's surrounded by open farmland, exactly what you would think of when you imagine the old English countryside. Borley Church dates back to the 12th century and served three hamlets, usually called townships, but hamlet is such a lovely word. The church was located on the north side of the main road and the rectory was on the south side with a graveyard between them. Reverend Bull was named the rector of the parish in 1862 at 29 years of age. He had the rectory built for himself and his large family. Was a red brick gothic style two-story home with many rooms that sat on almost four acres. But despite the locals warning Reverend Bull that the land was haunted, the new house was built over the foundations of the previous rectory. That rectory was destroyed by fire back in 1841. Not to mention there was a Benedictine monastery that was supposedly built in that same area. The Reverend didn't have to wait long for strange happenings to begin in the home. Just one year after the family moved in, they began hearing the sound of disembodied voices. The servant bells would ping as if rung by invisible hands. Footsteps belonging to seemingly no one could be heard walking behind people. This was not just heard solely in the home, it could be heard as you walked out onto the main road. One of the most famous reports by members of the household and strangers alike would be the apparition of a nun. The legend goes that a monk from the monastery had fallen in love with a nun from the nearby convent. Unable to stay faithful to their vows and resist their love for one another, they made plans to elope so they could be together. Sadly, their affair was discovered and I wish I could say they were merely forbidden from seeing each other but rather the monk was executed and the nun reportedly bricked up alive behind one of the walls in the convent. In 1938, it was thought that the legend might not have had a historical basis and could have been something fabricated by the Reverend's children to romanticise their gothic-style red brick home. But people underestimate children every day. My cousin, my sister and I were adamant that the boogeyman lived next door to our granny's house, not only because the front garden was overgrown, but because we would hear the strangest noises through the trees separating the gardens. Now, my granny's house wasn't built over the ruins of a burnt-down rectory or on the land of a Benedictine monastery, but that doesn't mean we were wrong, but I digress. 
Tragically, the nun unable to pass over would regularly leave her brick and cement coffin in search of her love. She was seen so often that the area that she would wander would be named the Nun's Walk. On occasion, she was reportedly seen staring into or out of the rectory's windows. On July 28, 1900, four of the Reverend's daughters saw what they believed to be the ghost of the nun at twilight, about 40 yards from the house, but when they got closer and tried to talk to it, it disappeared. Various people claim to have witnessed a variety of puzzling incidents during the next four decades, such as a phantom coach driven by two headless horsemen. The large black coach was said to be pulled by four jet black horses and you could hear the clattering of hooves travel down the road until it reached the rectory, where the coach would disappear and not another sound was heard. Reverend Bull died in 1892 in the blue room of the rectory. He was succeeded by his son, Reverend Henry Foyster Bull, known by his friends and family as Harry. He would then move into the rectory with his family. Unfortunately, the home's paranormal activity was not giving anyone a second to catch their breath, as the activity seemed to increase with the new residents. The apparition of the nun was particularly active from here on. On June 9th, 1927, just as his father had, Harry too died in the blue room of the rectory. But this room must have some kind of hold on the soul, as not only did two of its occupants die there, one never left. Harry's ghost was said to have been seen by several different people afterwards. The home remained vacant until October of the following year, when Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife moved into the rectory. One day, while cleaning out a cupboard, Mrs. Smith found a brown paper parcel. Knowing she hadn't put it there, but assumed perhaps Reverend Smith had, she opened it and was shocked to find the skull of what turned out to be a young woman inside the parcel. From that day on, the ghostly activity was said to have increased dramatically. Along with the increase in activity, new things were happening. The servant bells had long since been disconnected, but were still heard pinging. Hushed whispers could be heard throughout the home. and the topping of the cake, objects moved all by themselves. The family, very much aware that wishful thinking wasn't going to solve the issue, sent a request to the Daily Mirror asking to be put in contact with someone who could help them. A reporter visited the home and they were introduced to a paranormal investigator named Harry Price. The Borley Rectory would go on to be one of the investigations Price became most famous for. He had formed the Society for Psychical Research and was known for questioning any kind of fraudulent mediums or spirit photographers. His mission was to expose and debunk. Immediately on his arrival at the home on June 12th, new things began to happen as though he had angered the spirits occupying the home. Price documented a new phenomenon, such as the throwing of stones, a vase and other objects. Spirit messages were also reportedly tapped out from the frame of a mirror in the blue room. But as soon as Price left, these new activities ceased. Mrs. Smith later maintained that she already suspected Price, an expert conjurer, of falsifying the phenomenon. 
several articles were written about the haunting, drawing some unwanted attention to the home. On July 14, 1929, the Smith family left Borley, as they had endured more than their fair share of unwelcome visitors, both spectral and corporeal, lingering around the property. It would be at least another year before a courageous priest could be found to take on the position, as the rectory had gained quite a reputation. Borley may have been small, but stories travelled fast, and visitors would have been told immediately what the evil goings-on were at the rectory. In October 1930, Reverend Lionel Algernon Foister decided he was up to the challenge and moved to the rectory with his wife and their adopted daughter Adelaide. He was a cousin of Reverend Bulls and was all too familiar with the stories of the home. But stories heard are not the same as an event experienced, and it wasn't long before the Reverend and his wife were subjected to all the same tortures as the Smith and the Bull family before them. However, it seems as though every time the home had new occupants, it got angrier and more aggressive. The Reverend Foister's family were now dealing with an increasingly violent poltergeist, but it had a strange attachment to Marianne, the Reverend's wife. She was thrown from her bed, slapped and had objects thrown at her. Reverend Foister wrote an account of various strange incidences that occurred and sent them to Harry Price. These included bell ringing, window shattering, throwing of stones and bottles, wall writing, and the locking of their daughter in a room with no key. On one occasion, Adelaide was attacked by something terrible. Foister tried twice to conduct an exorcism, but his efforts were fruitless. In the middle of his first exorcism, he was struck in the shoulder by a fist-sized stone. This publicity in the Daily Mirror attracted the attention of several psychic researchers who agreed after investigation that Marianne Foister was responsible for the incidents. Marianne, however, said that she felt that some of the incidents were caused by her husband in conjunction with the psychic researcher, but other events seemed genuine. Eventually, she admitted she was having a sexual affair with a lodger, Frank Perlis, and that she used paranormal explanations to conceal her activity. In October 1935, Reverend Foisters held force the Foisters to leave Borley. Church officials decided that the house would no longer be used as a rectory. I imagine the controversy and unwanted guests made it difficult to convince anyone to occupy it in an official capacity. But not Harry Price. He convinced the owners to let him take out a year-long rental on the property. Price needing help with a full-scale investigation he wanted to conduct on the property, released an advert in the May 25, 1937 edition of The Times, stating he was looking for like-minded people that were intelligent, intrepid, critical and unbiased to conduct a year-long day-and-night investigation of an alleged haunted house. Price recruited 48 official observers, mostly students who spent mainly weekends at the rectory with instructions to report any phenomenon that occurred. In March 1938, Helen Glanville, the daughter of one of Price's helpers, conducted a planchette seance in Streatham in South London. Harry Price reported that Helen made contact with two spirits that day. The first was that of a young nun who identified herself as Marie Lear, According to the Planchette story, Marie was a French nun who left her religious order and travelled to England 
to marry Henry Weldegrave, owner of the manor home that stood on the side of the Bordy Rectory. One night, in a fit of rage, it said that Waldegrave strangled his wife and either buried her in the basement or threw her body into a disused well. The wall writings Marion Foister received were alleged to be Marie's pleas for help. One read, Marianne, please help, get, and Marianne, light, mass, prayers, and another, please for help and prayers. At the time, while the Foisters lived there, they tried to erase and even paint over the writing, but it persisted. The second spirit Helen Glanville contacted identified himself as Sonnex Amors. He claimed that he would set fire to the rectory at 9 o'clock that night, 27th of March 1938. He also said that, at that time, the bones of a murdered person would be revealed. On the 27th of February 1939, the new owner of the rectory, Captain W.H. Gregson, was unpacking some boxes and accidentally knocked over an oil lamp in the hallway. The house was never connected to a gas or electricity supply and water was obtained from a well in the courtyard. The fire quickly spread and the house was severely damaged. After investigating the cause of the blaze, the insurance company concluded that the fire seemed to have been started deliberately. As the fire raged, onlookers noticed a nun in a window. Afterwards, the rubble was demolished and the bricks were used for war purposes, leaving a bare void. Harry Price took advantage of the unfortunate opportunity and excavated the basement. The bones of a young woman were found and reburied in the nearby cemetery at Liston in 1943. After nearly a century of haunting, it seemed Marie Lair was finally at rest and the legend of the most haunted house in England came to an end. Or did it? After Price died in 1948, Daily Mail reporter Charles Sutton accused him of faking phenomena. Sutton claimed that while visiting the rectory with Price in 1929, he was hit in the head with a large pebble. Sutton stated that he seized Price and found his pockets filled with different sized stones. Over time, stories are embellished, that is a given. But this story doesn't strike me as one that needed bells and whistles added. I don't think we'll ever really know what happened over the lifetime of the rectory, but for the love of God, please don't build anything else on that land. I fear it won't go well. What do you think of that story? That was a great story. Wasn't that so- I was in trouble. Oh, good, good. I, was, I, I have a lot of names. I, I, towards the end, I was like, all right, this guy doesn't have a big enough part. If you don't have more than 42 words, <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not in the script. You're just you're not unnamed character. Didn't make the cut. Yeah, just there's a lot of unnamed characters. I have. We'll come back to that in my, in my segment later. But it's really good. Some lot of spooky guys in there. Yeah, no, I'm delighted because that, that story freaked me out. And I, I know that last night I was working on it for a little bit. And obviously with the evenings kind of getting that little bit shorter. Yeah. When you popped your head in the door to say, are you coming to bed? That was just like, what the holy crap? Uh, so you freaked out. Just... That happens a lot because you're constantly wearing a headset <laughs> listening to podcasts <laughs> or listening to ghost stories. And I'm like, 
I am entering the kitchen now. I did that. I actually did that today, and you still jumped out of your skin. And I didn't have anything on at the time. So. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I did. I had the headset on because um, I have a headband that has speakers in it, and it's always nice just to have something going on in the background. And obviously, when I'm editing, it's good for editing. No, it's actually terrible for editing. Oh, the headset. Yeah, um, but it's it, it's good to listen to the music that I want to put in the background, and then I stick the proper noise cancelling headphones on while the boys are napping. Um, but I didn't actually have any 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 podcast on today. But like in my defence, it's usually Murder Most Irish, so I'm listening to serial killer podcasts, and you're like jumping out at me. You're not really actually. You usually tiptoe into the sitting room in case the boys are asleep. Mm. The rectory is gone. Not that I'd be, I wouldn't be inclined to go and visit it. I know we went and we saw Crumlin Jail, um, but no, this is not somewhere that I would be inclined to go. I did say I felt a very heavy feeling when I went into the tunnel. I don't think I would be able to get out of the car if we went to visit the rectory. So Essex, you will not be seeing us anytime soon. That was soon. my next question. Where in the world is this? It's in Essex. It's in, uh, just north of Essex. Um, so obviously my job is to tell ghost stories and not to be a skeptic, but there have been, and I did mention that the, obviously the story was embellished. There was huge controversy over Harry Price. There, I think there was a movie made in 2011. I think it's available on YouTube. I might mm. give it a quick watch. Is Harry Price, sorry to jump in there, is he involved in other things other than this particular story? Uh, so he's things. in loads of ghost stories. Yeah, he's notorious. Yeah. His, his main objective was to Definitely. debunk... Yeah, it was to debunk basically false mediums or people who were lying about being clairvoyant and things like that. But then out of out of all of the investigations that he did, I'm kind of like, oh, do you know what? This is exactly why your your parents would tell you when you were growing up. Don't lie to me, because if you lie to me, every truth you ever told me is going to come into question. So yeah. he has now, in fairness, if someone was going to do it, they should have done it before he died. But tell him the whole world through the paper that you think he's a fraud after he died is a cowardly move. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I think it was a bit, it was a bit cheeky to do it after he passed away. Oh yeah, he's a coward. He can't defend himself. So it's, uh, but I can understand why people did think that he himself was a fraud, even though he was the one trying to debunk frauds. Mm. But holy crap, there was so much stuff going on. And a thought of being out in the countryside, dancing around with my brothers and sisters and because I don't know why everything in the 1800s always just to me is playing is running around a maypole with your ribbons. <clears throat> I don't know why. I know it's not. I'm sure they probably you had, had a lovely upbringing in the 1800s. <laughs> me, um, me, I was brought up in 80s Ireland. <laughs> no, but when I think of, you know, old English, I'm like, OK, you're out and you're playing in the garden and the younger of the siblings are all making daisy chains and the elders are, you know, playing with sticks and they're playing pirates or something. And they just picture all these lovely, nice things. And then you go to look in the kitchen window to see if mommy has put up the lemonade to say, right, come in now. And there's just this nun staring out at you. Mm. That would terrify me. I think it would actually be worse if the nun was inside the house and you're outside the house, because at least if you're inside the house... You feel safe. Mm. And if something's outside, that's okay. Lock the windows, lock the door. Like realistically, she's going to walk through the wall anyway. But you're able to convince yourself that you're okay. Yeah. But if you're outside and she's inside and mommy's inside, you're like, okay, mommy's dead. There's nothing we can do. We'll just have to move on with our 1800s maypole and there's nothing we can, there's nothing we can do. Um, but that, 
that's that's the first time in a while now that I've had a story that wasn't just all history based. It was mostly ghost stories. It was really good. And it terrified me. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very good. Have you got anyone for me? Okay. Oh, that's a very long list. <laughs> so I keep thinking of the Bull McKay, but it's Reverend Bull. Okay. Right. And there was a, there was a handful of priests. So there was the Bull, then his yeah. son Harry. Was there another priest? There was Reverend Guy Eric Smith. So you've Reverend, Reverend Bull, and then his son, and then Smith, and then... Foster. Or Foyster. Okay, so, you four priests. Yes. I have four priest actors. So, you may guess where I've taken this from. Sorry, you guys can't tell this, but he's super excited about his list. Go on. So, Graham Norton. Of course. Ed Lohanlin. <laughs> Keep going, I'm listening. I wish I could think of another actor that was just completely... <laughs> Sorry, I'll fair. Dermot Morgan. Yes. And Frank Kelly. Yes. You know who they all are? Uh, if I didn't, well, am I even Irish? They're all the um, Father Ted. Well, no, they're no, no, not all the Father Ted. Really. Yeah, There's some additions all, in there. They're all, no, they're all, they were all a priest of Father Ted. Was Graham Norton in many episodes? He was in at least one. Enough. He was in enough to yeah. be mentioned. Do you have any wives to go with any of these priests? No. No, they're too busy making sandwiches back in the 1800s. Yeah, well, there's, there's a li- I still have another list here. Go on. Uh, okay, so there's, there's a known to be filled. Yes. Julie Andrews. Of course. Um, another one here, Marianne. Yes. We'll give El Cathy Bates one here. Very good. Okay, well, yeah. Okay. But see, there's no mention of Marianne being young or old. I think she was quite young. Yeah. She well, was young enough to be having an affair. Kathy Bates could have an affair. Um, oh, no, it just meant like women in their 60s are not interested in sexual affairs because it was very explicit and it said it everywhere. It was not a romantic affair she was having. Oh, yeah. It was a sexual relationship with a lodger. I was like, you won. Um, and then the only other big character I have is Harry Price. Yes. Do you know who Matthew Lillard is? No. Zoots, Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Show me. You're not, you'll be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, probably will. Wait, isn't he the one in Scream who was like trying to explain to everybody how the movie murders go or something like that? He was the liver alone guy. Yes, I, I know who you're talking about. I feel really stupid now that I didn't know that that was Scream. Okay, okay, Shaggy. I get it. Oh, Shaggy, that's his name. <laughs> that's a really good lineup. I like that. You can see it turned turn your well. horror story into a bit of a comedy. But I like that. That That's what your job is here, Steve. That you are here to tell me that everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've got for characters, because I think that's enough. That's definitely enough. Um, So would you like to know the rabbit hole I fell down this week? Hit me with some facts. I have a lot of, but we can can just... I said so. I'll tell you the ones I have bullet pointed, and then if you want more information on them, I can tell you. Okay? Cool. So the information today comes from Best Life Online, and it was their weird, amazing facts segment. And I can't even remember why. Oh, I remember why, but I put it into one of them, so I will tell you why I ended up on their website. The first one. The vacuum cleaner was originally horse-drawn. So you're like a Dyson being trailed along by a horse. This thing was freaking huge, right? But that's not even the interesting part about this. So one of the earliest known vacuum cleaners was so large that it had to be hauled from one house to the other by horse-drawn. So you basically tell someone that you needed Hoover and they would come with the Hoover. Um, Vacuum. Hoover's a brand. Vacuum, sorry. The giant hoses were popped through the windows of the customers and a gas-powered motor, which is obviously why it stayed outside, generated the suction that pulled the dirt and debris into a glass container where onlookers could gawk at the volume of filth coming from their neighbours' homes. 
It was a spectacle. A day out for everybody. Let's just look at my neighbour's crap. <laughs> Not literally. Right, go on. Next one there now. Uh, next here we have... For 20 years, a cat served as mayor in an Alaskan town. I don't like cats. Okay, so we're just going to skip that one. Next there, and I thought this was mad. Children of identical twins are genetically siblings, not cousins. Are you reading the statistics? I'm trying to put a picture. So the children, so we have two, We let's say our two boys were... Identical. Identical twins. So one baby, two baby, they're brothers. So then baby one has a baby, and maybe two babies. And baby two has a baby, and maybe another baby. But these two babies, from our baby, are actually brother and sister... To the other baby? Yeah, so if twin A of ours and twin B both have two individual children, they are closerly they are closerly? Genetically. They, yeah. Genetically they are closer closer in genetics as siblings rather than cousins. Uh, the next one is actually the, the, the reason that I fell into this rabbit hole. The Apollo 11 crew used hundreds of autographs as life insurance policies. So basically the the mission that they were going on was so scary and so new and so dangerous that no one would insure them for life insurance. So what they did was they knew that they were going to be the first people to land on the moon and they subsequently then step on the moon. So what they did was they left their family with tons and tons and tons of autographs, some of which went on sale uh, in memorabilia auctions for like 30 grand. Also space related. Uh, I found out it would only take an hour to drive to space. Now, it's theoretical, of course, but if you got into your car and just decided to start driving up at 60 mile an hour, it would take you an hour to get to space. Mm -hmm. The atmosphere level between the ground and the earth is not that big in comparison to the circumference. No, of the it's really not. And it makes it, it makes it kind of feel small. The Which, next one here I thought was super, super funny. The tea bag was an accidental invention. I stuck that one in because it reminded me of your mum. So basically, the tea merchant Thomas Sul Sullivan, I think his name was, he sent samples of the leaves to customers in uh, silken bags. But they didn't quite, it didn't come with instructions because he just figured that people would put them into the mecha clasps that you put leaves into. And they were like, oh, maybe it's just the same principle. So they dumped the tea bag, or what now we know is a tea bag. And they were like, oh my God, this is amazing. And because there was such a good response back, he was like, maybe I can maybe I can fashion something out of this. And thus we have accidental tea bag. Oh. I put this one in and with you in mind. Almost 163,000 pints of Guinness are wasted in facial hair each year. That's Craig. That's my mate Craig having points here. He's always <laughs> looking at doing that. Do you remember the first year? I think it was the first year. No, it was definitely the first year yeah. I ever did the uh, 12 pubs of Christmas with you guys. But for every pub that we went to, every time I looked at Craig, he had a tiny little bobble in his beard. And he made like an upside down Christmas tree beard. It was amazing. It was majestic. But that's all the useless information I learned uh, this week. But I think I think we're good there. Will yeah. we finish up? You want to say your words? So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions on today's episode or any other episode, please feel free to DM us on our Instagram. It's what's the story ghost. And our email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com. If you have a personal story you would like to share, I will place all of the links in the description. I always do every week. I just have meant I have forgotten to mention it the last couple of weeks. Um, but there are all my words. And now for the exit change. <laughs> No, 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 no,
I have 14 minutes of my lovely horse coming up. Bye! Bye. <laughs>